What's going on guys? This is Luke Franson coming at you live talking about Lazarus the beggar and Jesus the Christ. Um, anyway, this little story of Lazarus the beggar uh, can get a little bit confusing if you don't know what you're talking about, right? Luckily for you, I don't know what I'm talking about either, and we'll figure it out together. Luke 16 is where this story is located. Uh, that was the worst way I could have said that, but we're just going to keep rolling, uh, starting in verse 19. I'm going to read it. We're going to get into it. I'm going to ask some questions that I know the answers to, um, and hopefully they help, right? <laughs> All right, let's hit it. Uh, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, that I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So, what? Now, I, uh, I fooled you. I have to be honest. I called this a story. And so there is a little bit uh, of a pretty pervasive attitude, mostly in the charismatic realm, that says the rich man and Lazarus is a literal story. Why do they think that? Why is it a story? Because it uses a name, and no other parable does that. And so the question, um, you know, that I would ask, kind of in in more of a Socratic line of thinking, right? Um, okay, quick aside, the Socratic method, you just kind of ask a question to examine your own thought processes, right? Why does Lazarus being a name make it a story and not a parable? And and the answer is, well, why else would he use the name? Right? Unless it's a story, why else would he use the name? And that's the question you should be asking. Right? Because, okay, tip my hand a little bit. I'm pretty sure there's an answer of why else he would use that name. Now, a few things about this debate between whether it's a story and a parable. Most uh, of the scholarly side of... Um, I don't know, theology, let's just say theology, big blanket term, most of the scholarly side of any uh, critical look at this little passage of scripture will say that it's a parable and not a story. The reason um, 
Well, let's go through some of the simpler ones first, and we'll get into some of the more complex ones. Uh, so a few of the simple reasons where it starts with a certain rich man. Right? There was a certain rich man. And so a lot of other stories start in the same way. There was a certain rich man who had a manager, right? Just earlier in chapter 16. There was a certain man who had a farm. There was a certain servant who owed a debt, right? All of these um, parables start in the same way once upon a time. Now, it's not once upon a time, obviously, but you understand the parallel between the languages. There was a certain man is, is kind of a trademark of the parallels, and it starts this story out. And so why does he name Lazarus and not the rich man? Well, he might not know the rich man's name, and he might know Lazarus' name, and, and sure, whatever. I, I, can, I can understand that, but I will say um, that there is an argument that he names Lazarus as the poor man as a way of elevating his status within the parable and, and not elevating the status in the rich man. And so you get kind of this role reversal and antithesis that is pretty common within parables that Christ taught. And and so we expect one thing, right? If you think about the Good Samaritan, you expect the, the teacher of the law to stop. You expect anybody else other than the Samaritan to stop. But who stops? It's a Samaritan. And so um, with this, that role reversal, the opposites, that's another pattern of parables that's kind of found in the rich man and Lazarus. And so, <clears throat> those are a few things, right? But I think it's important if you really want to just not argue about whether this is um, a story or a parable. You know, if you really want to try to understand the scriptures, um, which I, you know, I don't know why I think this, uh, but I feel like understanding the scriptures is important. I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a scripture. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm funny. I, I don't. <laughs> at least somebody does, right? Um, if you really want to understand the scriptures, one of the most important questions to ask, right? Again, it's all about asking questions. Who was around when he taught this? Who did he teach this to? Who was his audience? And if you look, right in chapter 14, he's talking to the Pharisees. They were listening. They were there. They ridiculed him. Right? In, in, in verse 14. They ridiculed him. And then in 15. Did I say chapter earlier? I meant verse. And then verse 15. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And so, um, the Pharisees were lovers of money in verse 14. They were there listening to Jesus' parable in verse 14. And then, out of nowhere, right? Nowhere. Um, I'm making air quotes. You just can't see it because I'm recording into a microphone. Not like a webcam or anything. Um, should I stream this on Twitch? Answer in the comments. Oh, wait, you can't because this is a podcast. Sorry. Anyway, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. Does that 
not sound like somebody the Pharisees would respect. Right? And so even at his gate was laid a poor man. Why would you leave a poor man at a guy's gate? Uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit presumptuous here. I've been accused of worse things. But maybe the poor man has received something from the man, right? He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Maybe he received something. Why else, if the man did not give to the poor, even in, even in some limited capacity, would he be laid there? And so I, I kind of want to not assume... Right, not not say this is inarguably what the scripture teaches, uh, because it's not. You can make a defense either way. But I will say, these are characteristics of somebody the Pharisees would respect, who at least obeys a little bit of the law to care for the poor in some capacity. Maybe. Now, I knew I qualified that a lot. But it's important to kind of set up this idea that this is a man the Pharisees would respect. Now, the other big part about this whole bit, I, I want to pull from Acts 23.8. Um, ESV says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And so... Um, there's this historian, Josephus, uh, Titus Flavius Josephus. He was a, a first century Romano-Jewish historian, right? And so he was in Jerusalem, and, and he talks about um, the pharisaical belief system in view of the afterlife, right? And so you might ask, well, okay, what authority does he have to teach on what the Pharisees believe? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. He was a Pharisee. He became a Pharisee. So this is a Pharisee writing about what the Pharisees believed. And to kind of summarize it down, please, please look into this, right? Don't just take my word for it. But um, there's actually a lot of Babylonian influence into this idea of uh, a dichotomous underworld. Right, and so they go to Hades, right, and, and that you might tell it's the same language from the parable, only here's the kicker, right? You heard the parable first, and then the pharisaical view of the afterlife second. But that's actually opposite to the context in which it was told. People heard about Hades from the Pharisees first, and then this parable second. Which makes it a little bit different, okay? So again, a dichotomous underworld. Two parts, one for the good people, one for the bad people. That is a Babylonian idea. And, and so right now in the program, um, I want to point back uh, to the Basement Bunkers and Superheroes recording. There was an ancient Jewish understanding of the dead know nothing. Okay, that the dead are just dead. They cease to exist. If you are more curious about conditional immortality, or uh, some would call it annihilationism, something like that, if you are more curious in what that belief system 
might look like, I would encourage you, just go listen to that recording, uh, take a break right here, and then come back to this one, okay? It's going to be really important for you to understand just that little bit right there. And with that in mind, right, I'm assuming if you're at this point in the recording, you, you understand what conditionalism is and you understand that it, it might have probably most likely been intrinsic to the ancient Israelite belief system the Babylonians inserted their own dichotomous underworld and so the question is why did Jesus bring up a dichotomous underworld because it was part of the Pharisees belief system who were there okay so Jesus brings up their own theology, their own belief system, their own thoughts on the underworld, and turns it around against them. So again, he has a man, rich man, purple, linen, feasted, right? A rich man the Pharisees respected. And Jesus said, okay, so he's in Hades. He sees Abraham far off, and he asks for mercy, and Abraham says no. And besides, we can't because of the dichotomous setup of this underworld. Okay? And so, we come to this conclusion. Uh, he says, I beg you, send them to my father's house. I have five brothers. Send them to my father's house. When he says, Father Abraham, right? And, and so I want to bring up something, too. Who says, Father Abraham? Um, well, we do when we sing that song, right? What's that little kid's song? Father Abraham, I don't know the words. Here's, okay. Children of Abraham, sons of Abraham. That's what Pharisees call themselves. Okay? Just... I don't know. Go look that up for yourself if you don't believe me. So, again, we have a man. He's rich. The Pharisees respect him. And then he says, Father Abraham, which means he at least ascribed to the Pharisaical belief system in that one respect, right? I don't want to make assumptions from that, but whatever. He says, Send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone comes to them from the dead, right? If someone goes to them that is, was, at one point, dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I know what you're thinking. Why did we pick the name Lazarus? Is that not just a little bit convenient? Have we not heard that before somewhere? That's a great question. Let's go to it. It's in John 11, right? And that's what I'm going to be reading from in the ESV. Now, a certain man was ill... Oh, it sounds like a parable, except he names him 
Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and the sister of It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Right, so it starts almost like a parable, but then it gives a whole bunch of background, and it's like, well, that's not a parable anymore. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after that he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Oh, that's not a good idea. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover, right? Because it's a good idea to let sick people give rest. And sometimes, you know what? It just goes right over their heads. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm sorry, I, I, I can barely read that without laughing. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. They just, they missed that one, I don't know. So Lazarus was in the tomb for four days when Jesus came. <clears throat> now I want to skip down to verse 38 right he's uh he's talking with Mary and and he's weeping and um he's talking with Martha and and he's he's comforting them right and so in verse 38 then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it Jesus said take away the stone Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet unbound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him, let him go. So that's kind of a big deal, um, right there. I'm not reading scripture anymore, I'm just talking. And uh, that's what happened to Lazarus, and Lazarus was the name of the beggar. Okay, that's cool, but it doesn't really answer the question. Right after okay check this out verse 45 many of the jews therefore who had come with mary had seen what he did believed in him but some of them went to the fair 
the who? The Pharisees, and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come away and take both of our place and our nation. But one of them, Cephas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He's not really wrong. Not for the nation only, but also to gather into one children, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Again, not entirely wrong. So from that day, they... <laughs> It's not wrong in what they thought, but the, the conclusion's a little bit different. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. They didn't believe in him. They decided to kill him. If a man raised from the dead... But they would not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither would they be convinced... If someone should rise from the dead. That's how he finishes the rich man and Lazarus. Why does he pick the name Lazarus? Because maybe it's a final irony. Maybe it's this last push of please just realize what you're doing. Realize how wrong you are about your belief system. There's a, a, a teaching again on the recording on Romans 9, softening, hardening, Romans 9. I recommend you listen to it, and not just because I taught it, but because I think it's important for this point. They, as the Jews, right, the people of God, that do not receive the Messiah, they are hardened of heart. And if you don't understand that language... I am I am literally telling you I explain it in Romans 9 you'll understand it after you listen to that if they did not hear Moses and the prophet because of their hardness of hearts neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead and so what they need right now is just this final punch right this final plead and maybe it's not final right but it's 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 a plea it's saying this is Lazarus. He raised from the dead, and your immediate response was to plot to kill Jesus. They have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, they can't, right? They miss the Old Testament. They miss the point of Moses and the prophets. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. They'll change their way of thinking. They'll realize how wrong they were. He said to them, that won't do it either. I think that's why he chose the name Lazarus for this story. Because the response to raising Lazarus from the dead was not repentance. It didn't just take another miracle for them to realize that they were wrong. Even that didn't do it. And I think we then have to ask the question, with all this understanding, 
Why is this here? Why did he tell this? Is he just yelling at the Pharisees again? Maybe. He might be. I think there are lessons to be learned. And Jesus used their own way of thinking, their own dichotomous underworld against them. And he said, even in your own belief system, you won't come out on top. Even in your own belief system, Lazarus is the one who goes to the, the bosom of Abraham, right? Abraham's bosom or whatever it's called. Whatever language you use for it, right? That's the most common one. And I think sometimes we get this attitude of uh, only if. You know, only if they have a better experience. Only if they see more. Only if they see this certain thing. Only if they go to this certain place. Then they'll hear. And uh, sometimes we can be right. But I think sometimes we can be wrong. And I think sometimes if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So if somebody really seeks and understands, but hardens their heart, and they're stuck in their own way of thinking, a great miracle, a great work of God, somebody rising from the dead, even that won't change their minds. And sometimes they might just get more entrenched in their own belief system, in their own way of thinking. And I think that's why that story is in the Bible. I don't think that this offers a glimpse into the afterlife. I think it's um, a rebuttal of the way the Pharisees think about a dichotomous underworld. I don't think that this parable is, is a story just because it uses the name Lazarus. I think the, the real reason is much more intense than that. It's the proof of what he's saying, right? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone, maybe someone named Lazarus, should rise from the dead. And the proof is that right after Lazarus came back, they planned to kill him. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why does he say five brothers? I beg you, Father, send my father's house. I have five brothers. Why does he say five? And, uh, you know, I don't really have much more in the theory. That's why I'm just kind of throwing it in at the end. There are, at this time, five different denominations of the Jewish nation. The Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, Essenes, and Scribes. Right? And, and so, you know, I can't, I can't prove this to you. I can't even give you much more than a theory. But I'm not sure that the number is just a random number. So he has five brothers, lest they also come to this place of torment, right? Warn them, lest they also come there. Five other denominational traditions for the Jewish people at that time, at that place. This is a man respected by the Pharisees, but he has five brothers. And maybe Jesus is saying 
your denominational backgrounds, right? All this theologies that you've just been handed, all these belief systems that have just been passed down and say like, oh, this is what the Pharisees believe and there's no why. Maybe that's not, maybe not all of that is worth it. And I think there's this little bit in there that says maybe you should inspect your own belief system. Maybe you should inspect why you believe something, why you think the way you think. If you have Moses and the prophets, why would you not accept the Messiah? It doesn't, it doesn't even change if somebody rose from the dead. The story hits a little bit harder when you uh, when you stop thinking it's just a glimpse into the afterlife and you start asking some more intense questions. I'll tell you what, it's not just this story. These questions have answers, but we have to kind of let go of what we want them to be to find what they really say.